Hello everyone and welcome to Public Procurement Explained. This podcast, hosted by Flavia Nixon and featuring resident procurement expert Anika Reedy, demystifies public procurement from its necessity as an accountability tool to the challenges faced in its process and the opportunities it affords to citizens. Regularly joined by guest experts and people in business, they will candidly share knowledge and experiences and be part of the change we all want to see. You can listen to the monthly podcast and join in on the discussion on www.ppexplained.com. Hello and welcome to our podcast, Public Procurement Explained, a podcast series where we talk about public procurement and all things procurement. I'm Flavian Nixon, your host, and I'm with Anne Karevi, Public Procurement Specialist. Karibu sana, Anne. Thank you very much. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the basics on public procurement, the importance of public procurement, and what role it plays in our economy. And before that, maybe Anne your listeners would want to know who is Anne Karevi. I've been in procurement my whole adult life. I'm really passionate about it. And basically, I've worked with private industry, public industry in Kenya, outside Kenya. The objective was to basically um, understand all spectrums of procurement. And I thought that the more people I worked with, then the more experience I would have. And so for the last, what, 15 years, this is what I've been doing. Uh, Many of our listeners uh, have never encountered this beast called procurement. We know how to buy and sell, how to purchase, basically. What is procurement? They're not wrong. I think, uh, yes, it's a beast. But if you go to the shop and you buy bread for 100 bob, you have engaged in some kind of procurement. Procurement as a discipline is really, really, really young. It was the same as finance. Say maybe 10, 12 years ago, we didn't have procurement departments. Even in government, they were more or less together with finance, right? We're just talking about money. We're saying this is what you need to buy. There's the money to buy, so you buy. I'm not saying it wasn't effective or efficient. It's just that there were no structures around it, right? So procurement is really just the acquisition of goods and services, whether you want them for your house, you want them on behalf of a company. In the case of public procurement, The government is now the one buying goods and services for its citizens. So um, procurement is the acquisition of goods and services. It comes in as a discipline because you want to do it effectively. You want to save money. You want to make sure that you have what you need when you need it. And just because of how many things you need and you might not be getting them from the same place, then you need some kind of structure as to how you're going to buy to make sure you buy effectively, to make sure you have it efficiently. So that's how buying or purchasing is tied into procurement. Which begs the next question, and what is public procurement? And what is its role in managing the acquisition of goods and services by government? I would say the difference is just possibly the amount of spend, who is buying it, and for what reason. So public procurement is the government spending resources that they have to make sure that they have effective service delivery to their citizens. When you talk about the government, we're talking about the ministries, we're talking about the various departments and agencies. Each one of them has an objective. That objective They need money to be able to fulfill that objective, so hence a budget. They have to be able to utilize the money that they get properly to make sure that they meet those objectives that have been laid down in their mission, in their vision. And because that it's money that is... uh, It's a public's money. Yes, it's a public's money, then we would need to account for it. So even 
even to your parents, if they give you a thousand bob, what do you do with a thousand bob, right? So it's the same. So the government has X amount of money. These are the services they need to deliver. How did they do it? How much did they spend? Did they do it properly? So it's important because they're accountable for how they have spent it. The services that they provide affect a lot of people who are basically their citizens. So as such, then there is an obligation We've had what uh, procurement is, what public procurement is, and, and uh, its role. And maybe in trying to get our listeners to understand a bit more on the functional need of public procurement, the first assumption is this must be anchored in the law. Is there an act? And how easily available is this information to the public? Public procurement is anchored on rules and regulations that can be found in the Public Procurement Act. I would say that this is information that is available, but um, we could do better to make sure that it is readily available. If you go into an organization, for instance, one of the first things you see is their service charter, which has their vision, their mission, what they want to achieve. And it's probably at the entrance, it's probably in the office that you'll go and visit wherever you're visiting. But the Public Procurement Act is not that accessible. So the information is there. The Public Procurement Act can be found in the website uh, Public Procurement Regulatory Authority. So they're the institution that ensure that as officers conduct procurement, then they're in line with the regulations that have been stipulated in that act. Okay, as we seek to understand a bit more and um, maybe break down in very simple terms for our listeners what benefits of this act and the fact that public procurement is, is uh, oversighted or regulated by, what did you call the organization? PPRA. PPRA, that is a public procurement. procurement. Regulatory authority. Yeah, what are the benefits to the public? The benefits of procurement in general is to ensure that you do more with less. You want to do that in public procurement because then if you're able to save money in this particular area, then you can be able to use it somewhere else, thereby doing more with less, right? So what you want out of procurement in simple terms is you want to save costs, right? You want to make sure that whatever is being bought is being bought easily. Whatever services are being provided are being provided promptly. This is the objective of procurement. So in public procurement, then it would follow that you want to achieve the same thing. Having listened to you, Anne, you say the government is trying to save costs. Uh, the assumption then is that the government procurement or public procurement is not done against a fixed budget. But what we know is uh, a budget is read out every year in parliament and uh, all public institutions submit estimates of what they would like to spend every year. Yes. So uh, so there's a bit of work that goes in before the guy comes out with a very nice briefcase. Each organization, like we said earlier, has an objective. So this is what they have to do. This is the money they think they need to be able to fulfill that objective. So you're going to sit down, whether it's members of the board or heads of department, they're going to say that this is what they need. Then it's going to be rationalized, right? We set a budget, then why are we trying to save? If already we have budgeted 60 million for a road. Are we trying to get less for less or achieve what we had set out to get? So are we not benchmarking or planning properly? 
and who gives us these estimates? Let me take uh, like a private institution, for instance. So you do have a budget. You need 20 computers, for instance. And you've done a market research. You know one computer costs X amount of money, so 20 of them will cost this much. So that's your budget. As procurement, as a department or the person who's actually conducting the procurement, this is the budget, this is what you've got to go and buy 20 computers. From the market research, you can buy computers in more than one place. Therefore, there's competition and as such, then it follows that you would be able to get a discount because maybe you're buying not one computer but 20. You're possibly buying from somewhere that you may buy again. So a procurement officer would be able to look ahead be able to negotiate, be able to use the tools available to them to make sure that they get the 20 computers and probably save a few coins from that. In private institutions, that will be savings. It will go into the bottom line as profit. But for a public institution, that could now be used and directed to something else because we never have enough money. So then, as much as we have a budget, we want to make sure that we meet the objectives that we had undertaken to achieve but at the same time, we know that we could have done more. It's just that probably the money was not sufficient. So if I end up saving better, because then I can be able to use it somewhere else. And that's why it's so important that everybody who is engaged in public procurement actively ensures that they're doing them the best they can to make these savings, to make sure that they get the most bang for their back. We've heard about the what maybe now you tell us a bit more about the how how is this public procurement affected how is it done how can one get involved how can somebody who has never done this before get involved in this procurement process within the law and what is needed from a supplier who would want to do it for the first time or who has been trying and has not been successful. So there's a structure, there's the backbone, which is that Public Procurement Act, which basically gives us the how, but it gives us the how as procurement officers. It doesn't give the how to the suppliers who probably need it more than us because we, we kind of know what we are doing. So the suppliers are the ones who usually don't know. We've talked about accountability, we've talked about transparency, and so as much as I would want to, as a procurement officer, I know a couple of people uh, who provide services that the organization I work for requires, we still have to make sure that we are transparent, we have to make sure that um, we've given opportunities to anybody who is qualified and is interested. Because as opposed to a private organization where you're only, you're accountable to the board, you're accountable to your sure. shareholders, public procurement, you're accountable to the general public. And you'd also want them to be involved in the process. They're your stakeholder, they're your shareholders. So we have some structures in place. We have some, some instruments available. When we procure, we do this through tendering or national competitive bidding and this allows um, as many people as possible to first of all know that the opportunity is there in the event that they're interested and it provides the requirements which are the qualifications the experience that you need to be able to engage in this exercise and of course how long uh, the contract is going to be for and how much time you've got to provide us with the information so that we can be able to um, evaluate and determine who is the best person or who is the best supplier. Absolutely anybody 
who is qualified can participate. I think that doesn't usually come out very clearly. You think that maybe you have to be a company that has worked for government before, you have to be introduced by somebody in government. Practically anybody who is qualified can actually work with the government. So that's the that's the good news. As within the organization, you would need to have the basics. You need to have a company. You need to be very specific about what you do with that company. Um, like you're saying, there are so many goods and services that are required by government. And there's a bit of confusion because you want to be able to do construction. You want to be able to supply flowers. You want to be able to give us milk. There's so much that we need, but you don't have to do all of it. So just just as you would be soliciting for business in a private institution, it is the same for a public institution. Well, and there is uh, the law that uh, prescribes what should be and how it should be done and who can do it and who can't. But there is also the reality of it to go ground. And having attempted to get a job with government a few years ago, I can tell you of my frustrations or the frustrations of a few other people from whom um, we've had a chance to discuss this. And I remember submitting a very good proposal to one of the government agencies to provide a service. And we worked so hard on it, two weeks of no sleep. As soon as we presented our documents on the first day, we were thrown out. You were disqualified. Because there are very many small things that first-time bidders, or even sometimes uh, regular bidders uh, do not know. Who tells you that you need, uh, or where do you find the information that you need three years bank statements? Or where would a young guy get three years bank statements or help certification? Because in some tender processes, uh, that is a requirement. Where will our listeners, or where would our listeners get this information? I hear you, I hear you. We two need different ground. <laughs> that is true. I don't know, it's a catch-22 because without, if we don't talk, like as a procurement officer, if I don't tell potential suppliers or people who are interested or business owners what basically I would want to see to be able to make an informed decision on whether you can provide these goods and services for me, if we don't talk, then how will you know? But then there's this perception that if we talk, then we'll become friends. We become friends, then why are we tendering, right? So I'll just give you the job. Which, which, which is a point to be discussed because uh, whether or not we're friends, I could be the best at uh, delivering that service. This is true. Yes. But it, it, I guess, again, it's that accountability, right? There's a lot of eyes, literally the whole country, because this is money that belongs to, to the country. So I can say as a procurement officer, it's discouraged. You don't want to be in a situation where to Tumekutana, we're drinking tea, and I'm basically explaining what is required. So I can only take your profile. You've expressed interest in the work. And as soon as, I guess, the need or the requirement for it comes up, then you will be considered. But like you're saying, sometimes what comes is not sufficient. And it's not sufficient because you don't have the requirements with you. You don't know what it is that I'm looking for. So I guess we would have to encourage 
people to listen to this podcast first because we're really going to de- demystify this. We're going to make sure you know where you can get this information. This information is available most of the ministry websites. At the bottom there, they have a link. They'll have a link to PPRA. They even have a link to amendments, different things that are happening in the procurement spectrum. They even talk about tariff changes. The information is there. I do know that there's a bit of a gap in how this information is being disseminated. It's those things of, if you know, you know. So there's some work for us as procurement officers or as part of the ministries or the government to ensure that people who are interested in working with the government have the information. There has been a push by government since 2013. I think that was a, there was a revision of policy in 2013 with the introduction of the AGPO program, whose intent was to aid women youth and persons living with disability get access to these government procurement opportunities. How easy or how hard does the law make it for them and has that been successful and what more can this category do to succeed in this process? AGPO, I feel so many ways about this thing because... And maybe also tell us what is AGPO? (laughs) So AGPO is Access to Government Procurement Opportunities. It's a program that was actually started, like you said, in 2013. I think there was a pilot about it around 2011. At that time, I wasn't in government. The organization I worked for, it was FMCG, so manufacturing. So a very big budget, everything you're buying is a lot. So in this organization, I looked at my list of suppliers and there was not a single woman. And my budget was 70% of the spend in that company. It made me feel some type of way. It was possible. Honestly, yeah. yeah. Me, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't understand. When I talked to my other um, colleagues in different categories, yeah, they've got one or two women, but they're doing catering, event management. It's a job, yes, but how much does it account to the spend? You know, so you're 70%, you have six suppliers, and all these are men, and some of them are even international companies, right? So you're spending this money, but you know, you're feeling some type of way because this money is either leaving the country, it's not being disseminated in a way where you feel like you're helping people. And what we were feeling in private sector is something that was also being experienced in the public sector something that other countries had already realized and, you know, were already doing something about. So this is how that affirmative action came in, right? And I think there was, around that time, in the political arena, there was a lot of inclusivity that needed to be, it was a point of interest. So we needed to make sure that not only are we including women, we're including marginalized groups, we're including the disabled, like there was a lot of, you know, We need to do stuff together. This money is not only just for either one tribe, one type of people. So with that, there was that affirmative action that 30% of the government spent should go specifically to identified groups who in the past have not been able to access these procurement opportunities. And uh, it does seem unfair um, because looking at the numbers, women form the majority of this country. But if uh, the discrimination is age, then the youth are probably more than 70% of uh, the people who are living in this country. Yet, we're just allocating 10% because I believe AGPO is 10 for women, 10 for persons living with disability, be they men, women, or youth. So really, that's not uh, specifically for women or youth. And then 10% for youth. But what... uh, you're telling us is uh, this is a male-dominated uh, field and you've been in the game for a long time. Is there a reason why 
it has been easier for government to deal with men as opposed to women or youth is it that the women and youth are not asking for these opportunities or is it just men are able to have conversations that these other two groups cannot have i may direct you to the bible <laughs> <laughs> please do <laughs> <laughs> well women we are told we are the neck <laughs> <laughs> and the men are the head right <laughs> so we are present <laughs> supporting the men <laughs> i think it was more about visibility so yes this male dominated supplier base half the time probably there was a woman involved it's just that that's not that wasn't the face there wasn't that empowerment in that in that type of way so agpo is specifically interested in the ownership right so it's 30% of the government budget must go to these identified groups and how do we determine that that your cr12 the amount of shareholding there's a certain amount that is with a woman with youth with persons with disability whether we have met that objective yeah <laughs> i will just say what has happened <laughs> this company that is 70% the man just basically gave his wife <laughs> majority shareholding majority shareholding yes. oh. so mm. alas, the the supplier this didn't didn't change as much as as we would have hoped we do have structures that we're trying to implement it's a work in progress what has become clear is that that affirmative action alone is not sufficient. So there are a couple of things we probably need to be able to do to ensure that it's not specifically just, you know, shareholding. Possibly if a woman was starting a new company, so it's a woman-owned business, then we need to give even leave, you know, that 10%. It's not even really about the percentage right now. It's just even that 30%. We're not 100% sure that that 30% is going to the people that we actually said that it should go to. So there's a bit of work around that. And I'm hoping that with this podcast we'll be able to, you know, give information to youth, to women, to marginalized communities, people who are interested but just haven't had the opportunity to be able to to compete effectively because they don't have the same amount of information. Are there enough women and uh, on the other side? I'm sure there are enough women owned companies who want to be suppliers, but there are there enough women procurement specialists or officers who are trying to push for inclusivity? It's actually a very interesting fact that if a lady is in procurement, the organization whether it's the board members or the shareholders are kind of more comfortable with that. Women are generally seen to be more honest. So as such, you will find a lot of head of procurement, in fact even in Kenya, quite a bit of them are women. The activities in procurement, a lot of women do on a day-to-day basis without actually even thinking that they are engaging in this in this type of activity. There was um, a push by the UN and there's a phrase I'm going to look for it and probably we'll we'll discuss it in another podcast where they said that if you give a certain amount of money to a woman it's likely very very likely that what she'll spend it on will positively impact a lot more people in the society so there was a push to actually involve more women in that type of decision making ask for their feedback because somehow you know they just they they won't take the money to the bank 
we suffer the risk of uh, discriminating uh, <laughs> some of our listeners. So let's move away from the women now. <laughs> that was a good introduction, Anne. So not We've, boring. Not boring at all, actually. <laughs> Quite interesting for guys who have attempted getting involved in this tender process. And really what our listeners want to hear is, are these opportunities just available to a select few? And where are these opportunities? And where can they get more information about them and how to access them? There are opportunities. The government is always, always, always needing something or someone. So if you don't get it the first time, try again, try again. Don't give up. In terms of where you can get the information, now it is available in almost every ministry's website. You'll find a tenders portal, you'll find an opportunities portal. So now it's not only career opportunities, but they're also supply opportunities. You can go to the Public Procurement Regulatory Agency. That for me is like a personal best because at the bottom of the page, it has all the links that you would need. It has the links related specifically to AGPO. There is a specific amount of spend that has been set aside for women, for youth, for persons with disabilities. So please take advantage of it because it is there. We have the Women's Enterprise Fund, Youth Enterprise Fund. You'll get all this information in the PPRA website. So you're saying um, for those who have not tried, there's somewhere where they can get the opportunity and get funding as well. Yes. So all you've got to do is try. And we'll make sure that in this podcast, we help you as much as possible, demystify this beast called procurement. We'll be happy to even get questions that we can answer as we progress with the show. Procurement is not as complicated as it seems. It's very, very interesting. It's diverse. There's so many opportunities in so many ministries at so many levels. Even in terms of volume or size, you can be a small organization, a big organization. You can be, okay, not a briefcase company, but you know, as long as you have your standard documentation, there's no reason why you shouldn't try. The opportunities are always going to be there. If you don't try, then... You know, you'll never know. Asante Sanan, this has been quite informative. I hope uh, that those of you who are listening to us will join us in our subsequent episodes as we try and break down and understand this beast called public procurement. Asante Sanan. Thank you for listening to the Public Procurement Explained podcast. You can listen to the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and join in on the conversation by heading over to www.ppexplained.com. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review of the podcast. Until next time.